Okay. Ready? I was born ready. Okay. Hi, this is Andrea Borcha. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Far Stuff. The Internet of Things podcast. This week on Far Stuff. The Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Very exciting. We're going to cover all the fun, cool, crazy things from connected cars to smart toothbrushes and smart homes. and. Excellent. Let's do it. But most importantly, uh, we... No, let's do it. Let's do it. That's it. We're done. All right. <laughs> So, hmm. CES this year. <laughs> That's what that was a strong about. start. <laughs> that was a strong so, start. So, CES this year. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. yep. <laughs> it was, uh, I heard it was pretty clever. It was uh, it pretty was, clever. It was like a fun little thing that happened. Good job. In 2014. Good job, right, guys so, um, and girls. That was clever. All right, we'll start over. At CES this year, Cisco chairman and CEO John Chambers did a keynote. He uh, was talking about predictions that the Internet of Things will become a $19 trillion market within the next few years. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Uh, I think Cisco's really trying to stake their claim in this world. Uh, they spent a lot of 2013 actually claiming bits and pieces of the Internet of Things yep. uh, as it was going through. They are homesteading. They are. They are. And I think, I think by making such a dramatic uh, stake, a, a dramatic uh, show, really, because, I mean, bringing Sarah Silverman in to help you with your keynote is not subtle. Sarah Silverman is certainly not known for being subtle. It's just awesome. So if you're going to make a statement, why not grab Sarah Silverman, come out there and and claim it so that you are known as the internet of everything company, which yeah. I think is what really what John Chambers was trying to get across. McKinsey in 2013 uh, estimated various Internet of Things applications could have an economic impact of between 14 trillion and 33 trillion a year by 2025. It's a good business, for sure. Gartner is slightly more pessimistic. They're saying total economic impact of 1.9 trillion. Only. Only. Only 1.9 trillion by 2020. Yeah, I think there are some, I think that's because there are some things that are in the Internet of Things and or the Internet of Everything uh, that seem. A little superfluous, ridiculous, uh, crazy, yeah. <laughs> insane, absolutely yeah. no reason to have them. And I think there's other things that people, all analysts have agreed, are actually doing some real benefits. And so probably Gartner, my guess, would be going more on the conservative realm because they see the most direct short-term business coming out of this. Although 2020 is only six years away. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm still writing 2008 on my checks. <laughs> That's not a good start. I'm still writing checks. Oh. What is wrong with me? I no, I'm, I'm actually not. You should be taking pictures of those checks. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Cisco in 2013 had various uh, major statements that they made about the Internet of Things. So from sensor-equipped basketballs that give coaches and players real-time insights. Uh, they also were trying to stake their territory in telemedicine, mm -hmm. in uh, connected health and smart analytics and metrics for health. Uh, everyone's trying to get on this retail, personalized retail experiences through the Internet of Things, having everything have its 
connections, computing and communicating according to our definition of the Internet of Things and really starting to use all the power that comes with the Cisco ecosystem to make everything in your life somehow connected. Yeah, good for them. I mean, they're, um, you know, they're, they're, as a mature company, they're uh, not desperate for growth, but that's clearly what they want. And I mean, nothing is going to grow their available market like the Internet of Things. Yeah. So you were saying Gartner was putting it at 1.9 trillion. Yeah, by 2020. McKinsey was putting it at what? 14 to 33 a year by 2025. Interesting. And GE was uh, touting it as a 10 to $15 trillion opportunity over the next 20 years. Well, that makes sense. So I, I think everyone's agreeing that things in our lives need to start getting smarter and need to be part of uh, this ecosystem. Yeah, clearly this is the next big thing. And uh, CES really touted that. I mean, they showed other stuff, you know, like people had curved TVs. Yeah. Which I guess is interesting to somebody. I mean, the 4K, they pushed a lot as well. And the 4K stuff, do you know about yeah. this? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's, it's, I, it feels like they're really, um, I don't know, they're, they're staking, um, they're putting stakes in the ground in places that, that are kind of, to me, ridiculous. I guess my main point was that this other stuff they were showing at CES was not really that interesting. It was just more, um, you know, I don't know, extensions of hype. the current stories. But I mean, CES is always full of hype, right? I mean, that it's just interesting, I think, this year more so than any other year before. The hype and the majority of interest and the majority of companies coming out to show off their latest and greatest wares mm-hmm. were really trying to claim that they were part of the Internet of Everything, the Internet of Things. Totally so, agree. And I think that's I that's kind of where I was trying to go as well in that everything else was kind of just not interesting. And so, yeah, yeah I don't mind the hype. And there is certainly plenty of hype that we're going to talk about today. Well, it just really means that we're on the cutting edge of every major company and startups starting to focus on this Internet of Things. I think it, we've, we've already seen a pretty good groundswell, but CES is a great tipping point for us to just explode into connected smart homes. Let's see, what are the things we saw? We saw connected cars at CES, mm. a smart home, entertainment. You brought up the TV we've, and smart toys. Uh, wearables are uh, the trendiest, coolest thing. Uh, you know, s- getting um, data in a passive way from as you interact with it. Mm-hmm. And fitness and health is always a big one because not only is this the cusp of where connected health and smart health is starting anyway. Now you've also got the cusp of Internet of Things. Uh, you know, there's a huge convergence in that realm as well. Yeah, and for wearables especially, it seems like um, the the tip of the iceberg is the the fitness stuff because that to me has the most kind of obvious near-term benefits. Yeah, one really cool thing they were showing off at CES were clothes that notify the wearer when they're getting sick. So we've already started to... Wait, when the clothes are getting sick? No, when you're getting sick. Oh, perfect. That's even better. I think it does help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There is is, uh, already talk of the taking the fitness stuff out of having to, you know, carry your Fitbit that Mm -hmm. inadvertently ends up in the washing machine or, um, you know, all these other gadgets and smartwatches and having clothes that actually monitor your fitness. Um, But this one is actually taking it to another level because then it would have to be monitoring your health. I'm guessing your body temperature and um, your sweat, I guess, would would tell them. I have no idea. Yeah. But yeah. 
it's possible in our lifetimes. The, the, there's definitely an evolution here with the wearables. So, so for the last few years, we've seen the the fitness bands and uh, uh, pedometers, smart pedometers that we've seen everywhere. And now you have the smartwatches coming out. And uh, CES uh, manufacturers like Sony and other ones were really starting to take that to the next level in marketing terms mm-hmm. and call them lifestyle trackers. Ooh. So it's no longer fitness and health trackers. We are now tracking your entire lifestyle. Well, I'll pay so much more for that. It's true, right? Because Sony uh, brought out a product called the Core mm-hmm. uh, to track activity and emotion. So, How do they track the emotion part? Well, I, Did they say? My guess is they're doing the same sort of... Um, there, there was a really cool study, and I'll, I'll put this up on our website too, Great. that showed which parts of the body emit the most heat when you're feeling certain emotions. Mm. But this would require like a full body scan. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think they've gotten it to the point where you can wear a watch and it can tell you if you're pissed off. But then, you know, there's a good market for that, right? Hey, if I have to wear a smart unitard to get that data, I will totally do that. <laughs> Solely, but see, I I just think it's brilliant because you know I'd really like to know if my husband's pissed off or not before I come home, so I know if I should go take a, go shopping a bit, let him cool down, and then come home and find out that he's pissed off I didn't do the laundry. You mean go shopping so that you can like buy him flowers, right? Yes, of course. That yeah. that would be the better way to go. Awesome. Yeah. So I I mean there's there's a whole new realm to these things that that's just fun. Uh, yeah, a lot of these are just fun. I mean, there's the there's the connected toothbrush. Oh my gosh, that, that, that's just, it. so it did make a lot of splash at CES, but yeah. it, it was a little ridiculous. So it's uh, a French company called Colibri uh, that had an app that went with your smart toothbrush mm-hmm. that tells you which teeth need a more thorough cleaning and if you've brushed enough. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. From a personal standpoint, I'm not sure I want my toothbrush tattling on me. Oh, yeah, like is that the, how you look at it? That's totally how I looked at it. Oh, I see. I looked at it as a very helpful, um, yeah, you're a you know, personal hygiene. I think it's device. a parent thing. Maybe I, you know, I thought it was really clever when they came out with uh, those toothbrushes that uh, played a song for kids when they brushed, ah. so that you could actually make sure they brush for the yeah. two minutes they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Not not part of Internet of Things, but this thing actually, where you can be, you know upstairs in your bedroom and your kids downstairs brushing their teeth and on mm-hmm. your iPhone you can see if they've which tooth they have not brushed enough I think gets into a whole new realm of creepy for yeah me. we're at this weird point where um, not everything's connected so as new things come online as things that are connected that previously haven't been it seems really weird yeah and but I think it will seem natural I mean it seems like as a picture of your total health it's like, of course, dental hygiene is part of that. Yeah, but see, if I mean, coming from the health perspective, I know that that everyone's having a big debate right now about where these fitness and health trackers should fit in with, for example, your electronic health record. So if you had your smart toothbrush, would it then transmit this data to your dental record so your dentist would know which days you brushed and which you didn't? You know, I think with permission, that's fine. Like, that would actually motivate me to raise my hygiene levels. Right, so you're getting tattled on. And so I'm back to my first point. Volun- that I, I voluntarily, think... though. You know, voluntarily is okay. I guess. I I think the... Uh, well, it's true, because right now, all, all studies have shown that most people don't floss until a week before they have to go to the... Or the day before they have to go to the dentist, because yeah. they haven't been flossing since the last dental visit, and they just... They're hoping they'll catch up on it. Yeah. But now, if my floss... Health doesn't really work that way, does it? No. 
No, but if you floss, if my floss tattles on me and my toothbrush tattles on me, I guess, yeah, I'd be held more accountable, assuming your dentist wants to know the entire brushing history of all hundred and whatever patients he has. Part of it is is not necessarily that the dentist cares, mm-hmm. but if you're in a relationship with a health provider where you feel like they care and you're willing to share that with them, you know, I think that I think that makes sense. I know with the Fitbit, I do share the data with uh, a few people. Not that they even necessarily care, but they could look at it. But do you share it with your physician? Well, I don't because he wouldn't know what to do with it. Well, and that's that seems to be more the problem. And I mean, there's so many stories that physicians have where people come in with reams and reams of their personal health data and they just get completely inundated. And it's yeah. And the physician is just like, well, yeah, okay, that's that's great. Right. Right. Happy you're using something. But, you know, I'm sure there's something at CES to, to put it all together and magically hand it to a physician. I'm actually surprised there was not more health medical uh, at CES, I think the health medical realm because they have a lot of um, a lot of other conferences for digital health and health IT. And, yeah, and maybe that's why there wasn't a ton at CES. Yeah, but to be honest, the way the healthcare field is going, we are moving towards more consumer-powered healthcare models. Sure. So you would think there'd be more there. I think it's just not trendy enough and. People haven't figured it out. After all, you know, a curved TV is a heck of a lot sexier than a, you know, connected heart monitor for now. Yeah, man, I guess. So what um, other stuff do they have there? Uh, they talked about the uh, smart home. They had a couple other. Some some of the companies were trying to claim that they would have the universal remote for your smart home, that everything would be connected. Yeah, there's a. Uh, that's one of my favorite um, bits of CES, I think, specifically the Revolve. Mm, so I hadn't that? heard of this before. Imagine your Wi-Fi router being kind of the heart of your wireless home um, from a, a PC and tablet and phone point of view. The Revolve is really a hub like that, but really for the Internet of Things. So it supports Wi-Fi so it can connect to the Internet at large, but it also supports uh, Internet of Things standards like Z-Wave, like Insteon. They have Zigbee coming soon. Uh, the Revolve is, so it's really cool. It's really complimentary to your Wi-Fi router, only it's for Internet of Things stuff, you know. <laughs> they announced that Home Depot will start selling it. That was a pretty huge win for them. Um, That's huge, because Belkin at CES was also trying to claim the DIY market for homeowners, claiming that they have all the bits and bubbles that you're going to need to customize other home care items like sprinkler systems uh, and uh, other, they call them home automation. Sure. No, home automation is definitely um, another way of of saying smart home. Um, It's a little bit archaic these Mm -hmm. days, but the home automation thing, um, yeah, Belkin was right in there with their Wemo product line. Yeah. Um, And I don't know how to say that without laughing, but the Wemo product line, um, it started off with a um, with just the socket that you'd plug in mm-hmm. um, that would allow you to control anything plugged into that socket okay, via Wi-Fi, so via your phone. Turn lamps on and off. Turn lamps on and off. And it was connected sure. to a motion detector, and you could hook those things together. Didn't we have, like, I feel like that's clap on, clap off, but just the slightly next generation of it. That's that's smart home. Smart okay. home is clap on, clap off, really neat. With like, connected to your iPhone. So you make your iPhone. Your phone. So Siri claps to turn the lights on and off kind now. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, Belkin was there in, in full force. Um, the Revolve thing 
is more interesting to me personally because it supports many different standards. Okay. And so there's an opportunity to actually unify the devices in your house. So the sure. Belkin stuff is really only Wi-Fi, only their devices as far as I know. In other okay. words, it's a it's a really proprietary they're, kind of They're system. trying to go the proprietary way, sure. Yeah. So they're, they introduced um, a lighting starter set so they can compete with like the Philips Hue. Right, right. Uh, whereas the Revolve folks have this hub. They've lit up a few of the wireless standards built into the device. Um, Z-Wave and Insteon and Zigbee is coming soon. Okay. But apparently there's a couple more like support for a couple other types of um, RF standards, maybe Bluetooth, for example, that, that are in there and they haven't flipped on yet. Gotcha. So what are those standards for our, for our less techie? Well, listeners? the Z-Wave and Insteon and Zigbee, those are all really very low power, very low bitrate communication standards. So, for example, Wi-Fi is great if you're trying to stream something at 1080p to your home theater system. Like a movie. Like a movie. Okay. Yeah. If you're using Apple TV, gotcha. uh, you want to be at least using Wi-Fi, if okay. not a direct wired connection. Okay. But the standards like Z-Wave, Zigbee, and Insteon are very low bitrate. If you just need to turn the sprinklers on at 5 p.m., you can send a few bytes and you're fine. So um, it can be very slow. You're not transmitting media. You're just transmitting commands. So that seems like for a lot of the Internet of Things, it, 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 a crucial component that we need to figure out what these low wave standards are. So you can start separating out the re- base requirement of memory for each of these. Yeah, tasks. right now it's it's a it's wow, it's a Babylon of, of standards. I mean, Bluetooth is uh, Bluetooth low energy specifically is really gaining purchase as a standard in this in that space. Why do you think that is? It's um, it's really got a, a foothold on devices, and because many of these devices need companion apps, and the smart home or sorry, the smartphone is a natural place for those. Yeah. Uh, just Bluetooth makes sense. It's well understood. There's rich support from infrastructure vendors making chips and stuff. Um, it's all right there. And so it's mass market. It's on every phone. Interesting. So how is this going to work with Revolve if they're trying to support all these other standards? And uh, BLE seems to be the one that we're defaulting to right now. Yeah. They, you know, BLE has some problems, though. And, and BLE, by the way, is what, what cool kids call Bluetooth low energy. Sorry. Um, I was just trying to get you to correct and, and expand. And sure. here I am throwing out some jargon of myself. <laughs> That's okay. It's great. We're um, sorry. We're, we, we over nerd this. It's, it's topic. okay. It's, it's <laughs> not ideal for some uses. It's got a limitation of like, I think 12 or 15 feet practically to work reliably. So, so these other homes. standards, yeah, these, these other standards are complementary. So for example, Wi-Fi is great. If your thing is plugged into a power outlet, Gotcha. If it's not, Bluetooth is great. But if you're trying to command something that uses Bluetooth um, that's on the other side of your house, well, send something via Wi-Fi to a hub on the other side of your house that then speaks Bluetooth to the device that you're trying to control. So these standards will most likely work in concert with each other, which is why the Revolve is so interesting, because if they truly can um, provide sort of an abstraction layer um, on top of these devices that's simply sending commands, regardless of what RF interface they might be trying to use, great. Then that Revolve solves a real problem. And it allows people to kind of bring, um, pick and choose from a wider selection of devices. So, for example, uh, Lutron light switches uh, speak Zigbee, for example. I, I believe that's true. And if you can use those Lutron switches, some of which have you know special buttons for doing certain things, 
and translate that into a command to control a bunch of other stuff using other stuff. Um, they might be using Wi-Fi or they might be using Z-Wave. Then suddenly you've got um, exactly what we're looking for, which is the ability to control your house via one app um, or a small number of apps. It, it tries to solve this pile of remotes problem. So if you have a home theater system, you probably have a pile of remotes and folks have come along like Logitech with their Harmony system to try to put everything back and provide a universal remote. But there's not yet such a thing as a universal remote for the Internet of Things. So we've got this pile of companion apps, which is fine. But sometimes you want those things to work together. And I think we were seeing that a lot at CES. Uh, there were a couple of people that tried to claim that they had the universal remote for your life. And that's where they were trying to head. So yeah. I, I definitely see where that's going. Uh, I know one of the other points they made there, too, was that you couldn't have done the Internet of Things before because uh, a lot because of battery life. When you used to have a lot of these things or something really small you wanted to add to your toothbrush or, yeah. uh, you know, it would last about an hour. Now you can have them last a week. Yeah, that's power is a big problem. And that's, you know, with Belkin kind of betting their line on Wi-Fi, it at this moment means that the stuff needs to be plugged in. So they're doing things like light bulbs, yep. which, of course, has power an infinite supply of power for what they need. Uh, they're doing things like, you know, they're announcing crockpots. OK, well, there was also the uh, smart cooktop where you could browse the Internet while you're cooking on your cooktop. That one came out at CES. Yeah, I didn't. The value of that to me is not obvious, but it is connected to power. And so you can be when you're connected to power, you you it can be um, you have a lot more options. It's, it's so much more, more universal. Options. I think I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be the, the clever, the cleverest people that come out with the things that can live on their own. But oh, yeah, it's the design of, challenges of those are a hundredfold. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the, and then, you know, along the funny one, there was the, you know, the dog collar. So you could find mm -hmm. your lost pet. And yeah. that, that one will last a while. The battery life on that thing has actually sounded pretty impressive. Um, but, you know, re refrigerators that can text and cooktops you can use. Uh, Facebook on, you know, all of that. I think they're just completely relying on the fact that it's a stationary object that pulls power from your home. Yeah, those are those are tough because there's one of two ways to handle that. Either they plug in to your outlets, in which case you've got wall warts all over. Well, I, but there is the, they are trying to improve that as well. Uh, they're getting they? smaller, but, you know, really, it's it's going to be that. In the future, five years down the line, they may all be the size of the Apple, you know, power adapter for the iPhone or whatever. Well, they were even they brought out the smart charging bowl that came out um, just pretty recently. With the induction charging. Yeah. Yeah. Where no, you just cool throw too. everything in a, in a bowl when you walk in the house and that's where it charges and then you just pick it up when you're ready to go. So we've got we've got induction charging. We've got directly connected to AC or, or you know, probably converted to DC at some point mm -hmm. in the in the um, in the power chain. And then we've got battery powered. And a lot of these are going to go with a hybrid model. So DoorBot is, is pretty fun. It's a Wi-Fi doorbell. It lets you see and talk with visitors via your smartphone uh, from anywhere. That's really interesting because I, I swear I saw that on Shark Tank. You did. Okay. Yes. I saw it on Shark Tank. You did. Yeah, I think they, they tore them apart limb from limb. Really? Yeah, I don't think, th I think they were completely creeped out. They were not out. funded. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see why they would be creeped out. Did they mention why? Do you remember? Um, watched the episode a while ago, but I rem I remember that they were really concerned about security and privacy. That 
Um, things are hackable. And this is always something that comes up with the internet of things. Things are hackable. I don't want my video to be hackable. I don't want to see who's at my door. I don't want them to see if I'm home or if I'm not, because if you have somebody come to your door and they can easily see if you're checking things from your phone or if you're actually in the house. Yeah. So I, I think they just kind of went through the the standard fear yeah. that comes with the internet and not understanding that was their, their excuse for not funding. That, that was basically where they came from. They just, it, I mean, I don't remember too many specifics, but I remember my general impression was that they were kind of attacking him. Uh, it's a fair point, for, but you know, the other, the other realm. issue is that every, you know, every laptop you own has a camera built in. So if you're really concerned about that, you know, then you should start duct taping over your electronics, which I do. <laughs> well, that's probably I'm, smart. I'm ashamed to admit, but I totally do. After you see all these, I mean, it's so easy to hack into these things. I mean, you want to think it's not. And Apple's really smart by putting the little light up next to your camera so you know if it's on or not. But that can be defeated, too. It totally. Everything can be defeated. And I think yeah. that's why they were creeped out, because I think the thought of having somebody come up to your door mm-hmm. And know and and you can see them or not. Sure. I think that was that was their realm because at see, least the me, internet you're kind of protected. They yeah. feel protect. They feel distanced. But the home, yeah. I think they just from a personal level weren't ready for it. Well, as long as it's in my favor, I'm fine with it. And in the case of the doorbot, it is in my favor because I have a door that I can't see through. So yeah, I, this this product would be nice for me. the The point I was bringing up with the power is that this is interesting because it has a hybrid power solution. It will run on a battery for a year, but it will also connect to your uh, normal doorbell power and get a trickle charge all the time, which is great. Yeah. So a hybrid solution, you can imagine a hybrid solution where something is battery powered, but when you set it down in that bowl, the induction charging takes over. So you're kind of constantly charging it. And you can imagine, um, you know, if you have your phone in your car and you have a dock for it, uh, you're charging as you're driving and you pull it out and there's a battery. So Hybrid power, I think, is the way to go where um, people, you know, things are just picking up on power when they need it in the same way that they kind of pick on wire or they pick up different ways to get the to the Internet. Well, when they it need sounds it. like both having multiple options for battery for power and multiple options for standards and multiple options for communication will be the, the best way to make this thing happen. I think so. And in the same way that your phone uses, you know, 4G when available, when yeah. it's not, it backs down to, yep. you know, 2.5G. And you leave, you know, your Wi-Fi on. So when you come home, it yeah. connects to your or Wi-Fi, you your Bluetooth, Starbucks. whatever is around, yeah. it will pick up on whenever it needs it and make it the easiest to extend your battery life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the only way it's going to work. Yeah, it's kind of an adaptive world that we live in. And these, um, these Internet of Things devices, by virtue of being, you know, either small or mobile, um, you know, or in locations where things don't normally end up that may not have power outlets nearby, they're going to have to adapt too. It is really interesting, uh, though, with the doorbot and the Shark Tank reaction, mm-hmm. because a lot of the journalists that were at CES really started getting into whether or not the Internet of Things is uh, accepted by the general public. Obviously, the techies and, and our... Uh, technological society, you know, everyone that's the the super nerds adore it. They love it. This is super tacky. This is great. We're getting to Star Trek world. We're so excited. Yeah. Uh, But there, but because it's starting to get into the general consumer realm and people are starting to adapt to, especially the nest has been super successful with the general consumer. That's not very techy. They've started really arguing about whether or not there is public acceptance for the internet of things. What was uh, so one study that came out 
uh, I think it was Forrester Research Poll, said that only 28% of Americans are interested in controlling appliances from their smartphone. So a quarter of the country. And 53% don't care well, at but all. See, that, that makes complete sense because they're asking the wrong question. They're asking, would you be interested in blah instead of, hey, would you like to like be able to do this and focusing on the feature. They're focusing on the feature and not the benefit. Right. So like, instead well, of asking well, like, about why would I want to do that? Yeah. Would be the next question. And that's probably the problem. And and I think I think you're absolutely right though, right? So that's how advertising and companies have changed our life and and educated us to a whole new realm. So I think I think you're absolutely right though. It's not about asking them do you want your glasses to be smarter? Do you want your fridge to be smarter? Right. It's more selling them the entire vision of the solution that and what this actually means to them. Right. It's not, it's not, do you want a CPU in your doorbell? Like the question is, do you want to be able to, um, you know, intercept the UPS guy when you're not home to have him leave the package on your front door? Yeah. It's about selling that, that concept. Yeah, yeah. no, I think you're right. And um, so, but it'll be interesting because I, I've, you always worry when uh, innovation is driven entirely by techie people mm -hmm. with no vision for marketing or talking to customers or talking to people with less tech savvy, um, if they can actually sell what what's their cool gadget and why it's important to them when they're just saying, but, but it's cool. Don't yeah. you see it connects to... Zigbee and it, and it has BLE right. and it does right. battery and it's like, oh, who but, cares? but it's I plumbing. don't care. Yeah. No, it's like PVC pipe. Like if you don't get excited about PVC pipe, well, that's what you're trying to sell if you're selling Zigbee. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Have you seen the Gartner curve of innovation? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's where that trough of disappointment comes from. Everyone early on is so enthralled with the technology that they forget like the point of it. Right. And then, you know, there's this trough of disappointment where everyone's like, uh, yeah, Zigbee, that was stupid. But then two years later, people actually figure out, oh, no, you can actually enable really cool things with this. And then product guys come in and they understand how to talk to humans. You and know? you need those. And I think that's, I think because they started throwing these things at CES, it mm -hmm. was just the beginning of having the product guys starting to get involved in this rather than just the engineers and scientists and techies. Um, but anyway, so uh, explain a bit more about this um, the Gartner uh, curve, because uh, we'll, we'll put it up on the website too, but uh, let's yeah, give it a let's bit. link to it. And um, I think we should dedicate a future episode to how yeah. that relates to the internet of things. Let's do let's that. Let's come back to that. We have so much CES stuff to cover. We have so much stuff to do. Um, the other thing that they came up with was, uh, what was it? By 2050 analysts project that there should be about 50 billion internet connected devices which averages out to about five gadgets for every man, woman, and child. And that captures perfectly why Cisco is so obsessed with this. Oh, well, everybody. Everybody's jumping on this train. And I think, really, it's going to be that you don't even know things are smart or connected or part of the mm -hmm. Internet of Things. that You don't understand that, that you just... If it's done well, it's so seamless, you don't get that it's connecting, commuting, and communicating. It's just giving you what you need when you need it. Yeah, I mean, so many people have bought TVs that are smart that actually these people have no idea their TVs are actually connected to they the just, internet. No, no. And but, it's a little scary. Well, I don't know that people need to know how the dog food is made. They just no, need I'm, to know that the dog food's good, right? Sorry, let me, saying. <laughs> let me rephrase. They have these like internet connected TVs that may be connected to their unpassword protected Wi-Fi hotspot oh. and like communicating to the parent company. Um 
that's not great. So we're being spied on. Well, in the case of some TVs, we know we know people are being spied on. Like LG TVs were found to be able to, you know, pass back information about what pictures were being viewed on the TV uh, to the home company without them knowing. Yeah. But even worse is if you don't know that something is communicating on the internet, you don't know that it's a possible like attack surface. No, that's true. And and that's the, the genuine fear that comes from it. I know that they were even touting at CES that you can start buying things that you see in the shows or from sports games uh, while you're watching the show itself. And that requires two-way communication off the bat by definition, yeah. right? So, I mean, I think that's going to have to become a lot more obvious as to which way that's headed. Yep. There's, uh, there's a couple other f- more fun things that came out of CES. Uh, there was uh, They did a really good profile of the Anki Drive, which we'll talk about probably in a future episode about mm-hmm. toys. The Jumping Sumo by Parrot. Basically, it's uh, the robotic car that's about double the size of a Hot Wheels toy car. And it's taking Mario Kart and making it real life. Wow. And, and so th- there's a lot of fun stuff, too. Yeah. This doesn't all have to be serious. It doesn't have to all be about making sure my house is the right temperature all the time and I see who's come to my door and I can make sure I'm healthy and and fit and yeah. just you know why not I think we actually need to have some people here that are just having fun with things the wireless dog collar and the crazy toothbrush yeah I mean the internet it. of things there's a lot of fun stuff um and Tom Tom Coates I don't know if you know of him he's no. he's an interesting guy but he's he's actually connected his house to the internet and it it tells him good morning and tells him when things in the house change and when he's sad and when the house is happy and all this other stuff it's how does it's this, fun the, how does the house get happy and well sad? the key is with it is the interoperability and and getting stuff so that it can talk to each other and talk to a central hub that can in turn tweet so oh. um, yeah the house knows when it's um, too hot or too cold or just right. And when he comes home, it I welcomes him home because of the motion sensors. And yeah, the house is really almost a, uh, you know, a character in, in Tom's life so, and other people's lives since the house tweets. That's true. That's so. true. So it's taking Siri to a whole new level. You can fall in love with your house because it's just, it takes care of everything. It's the perfect housewife. Yeah. Her no is, one will her. need a housewife ever again when your house is smart. Well, they might ben? need a house husband. Um, her <laughs> is actually a documentary from the future. <laughs> I'm sure of it. See, so this is it. We've solved it. You have a smart house that's connected to everything, takes mm-hmm. care of everything. No one's going to need to stay home and take care of anything anymore. The house will even take care of your kids for you. And then everyone can work 80-hour days or 80-hour weeks. Um, and, and that's really the, where we're all trying to go. You make dystopia sound so fun. I do. I do. I think that's, that's really the secret. I don't know. That's probably not true. There, but there was um, there was another utopian vision that was uh, thrown up at CES about uh, waste management, of all things, huh. where they embedded sensors, uh, or they're talking about embedding sensors uh, in trash cans that would tell waste management if a trash can is full, if there's hazardous materials inside, uh, when's the best time to pick up the trash can to avoid traffic issues, um, and even possibly uh, whether or not the garbage can could have an offensive odor mm, in it. So, yeah. you know, definitely uh, the, the, the bounds are endless. You just keep building things that connect and talk. And sure. I know John Chambers um, also talked about smart cities a lot. Yeah. And that being part of that, I think smart cities are um, are going to save 
us collectively so much money sure. and make things run so much more efficiently that I, I can't wait. Yeah, there's there's a, a quite a bit of impressive stuff happening at CES, and I think it's just the beginning. I, I, I think the, the biggest point to make probably is that it's impressive because it's starting to become less a techie, nerdy thing and more a thing that is embraced by general society. Mm-hmm. And you can really see that happening when you had um, the FTC commissioner, Maureen Olhassen. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, Sorry try. if I didn't. Um, but yes, so she was at CES and she actually made uh, the case for, quote, regulatory humility where uh, you can focus on how new technologies can empower individuals in important new ways rather than focusing on how the government should be overly involved. So I thought that was impressive. If the government is coming out um, actively saying we support this new initiative, Mm -hmm. uh, that's impressive. So here's a quote from her speech, and we'll put a link up to her speech as well. But uh, the Internet has evolved into in sorry. The Internet has evolved in one generation from a network of electronically interlinked research facilities in the United States to one of the most dynamic forces in the global economy, in the process reshaping entire industries and even changing the way we interact on a personal level. And the Internet of Things offers the promise of even greater progress ahead for consumers and competition. I think that that is a very blatant support message from the Federal Trade Commission and that's impressive because yeah but I don't I don't want a cheerleader like she sounds like she works for Cisco it sounds she that sounds way. like she's not working for the people like so we've brought up a lot of interesting topics about security sure and about privacy she needs to be thinking about that like we don't need her as a cheerleader for for corporations making internet of things devices and I say this as someone being a part of a corporation making Internet of Things devices. <laughs> like, there's plenty of cheerleaders. Yes, but I think it's the nature of uh, who's in power right now. Obama is a strong supporter of digital. And uh, for the first time ever, we have uh, our inter- IT. We have an IT, head of IT mm-hmm. for the government that actively goes out and speaks. And although healthcare.gov was um, not exactly their most successful a statement out there. I think they all really want to support the digital realm. And uh, I, it is, it is true though. Maybe they should be the proponents of slowing it down, but I feel like Look, the, the government to- <laughs> is so good at slowing things down. And, and from what I've seen from the insane amount of patent issues mm-hmm. that we've been having and the FDA getting overly involved and shutting things down before they actually know the thing, I'm actually more for the government backing off in one realm and letting us figure it out a little bit Mm -hmm. and giving themselves a chance to catch up and learn from the smartest people in the world that are building these things and then figure out how to best regulate it. Well, here's the problem. So I I agree with you. Like there should be room for innovation and especially in the um, in the M health industry, regulations seem to be stifling. Yeah. But here's the problem. Uh, a lot of these companies come out with products and there's no thought or money that goes into um, security or privacy and how to manage that. Um, because these products fly off the shelf, they have no margin. There's no, um, there's nothing compelling 
corporations to necessarily consider these things. Sure. So the problem is those, those devices get out there and they're insecure forever. And they can be used to actually impact our national security because these devices, if they are insecure, if they do um, uh, put our privacy in jeopardy, they become moles in these organizations that may otherwise be secure and in these homes that may otherwise be secure. No, that's a good point. So I just, I'm really concerned that like before we, you know, it may be too late, Pandora. The box may be open. (laughs) and, And maybe can't be closed. You know, we know there are Wi-Fi routers out there with insecure firmware that just can't be updated. No. And they are effectively, um, you know, putting every everyone's home at risk, uh, even if other devices are secure. So I just don't think the industry needs a cheerleader. I don't mind like, yes, freedom to innovate is important. But on the other hand, we need like a mommy and a daddy making sure that the right thing is done, even if it costs like five cents per unit. Yeah, but I don't think that there's any value in having a mommy and daddy that don't know what drugs are on the market and just says, you know, you should be a good boy. Right. No, but, but you, they don't know. I mean, the, you just I, said that the government actually has some IT expertise. But well, and, and, should and know how this well stuff. did. How, but, but they technically have. OK, so the government um I think for the longest time was ignoring uh-huh. IT and ignoring the fact that this isn't going away and this is sure. huge and this is part of it. No, for sure. So I think they've making their they've made their first step mm-hmm. into this world, which is I applaud them that they're actually acknowledging this exists. But when you look at the issues coming out of the patent office, I have a a very I mean a very clear opinion, and I think it's blatantly obvious that the majority of people that are making IT and internet decisions or digitally related decisions in the government Mm -hmm. don't know anything about digital and the internet. And the patent office has proven it. All the different um, net neutrality issues that have come back and forth, um, the the discussion about whether or not we should shut down or limit how many emails go through, Mm -hmm. that happened a couple years ago. I think until the government really, really get some smart people in there to know what they're doing. I, I actually applaud them for leaving it open for now. And there is a case to be said that the, the, if you let the free market system go, Mm -hmm. security and privacy will come up because you could have the coolest little internet of thing thing out there that everybody wants to buy. Mm -hmm. And then I come out with one that's secure and has privacy. They're going to go for mine. Yeah. But generations of devices. So, so, if we look at smoking, right? I mean, it's it's like, that's fine. Eventually, you know, your daughter or something may be a little bit safer than we are. But the problem is that until that happens, um, you need to provide some protections. You can always make protections. You can always lessen them. And as we talked about in the last podcast, I'm, I'm very free market in the sense that, yes, I explicitly stated that the security and privacy issues will be solved organically. Well, they have to be solved one way but, or another. But first, entire you know swaths of people will be put at huge security risk. Um, they'll you know have their private homes, um, videos from their home, and pictures from their home. Anyway, um, I you know it's there's some balance. Obviously, no yeah. regulation is not the answer. No, but, and obviously, stifling regulation is not the answer. Yeah. And, and yes, and, people and should know. Uninformed regulation is is definitely not no, the answer. Of course, but right now it's um, you know the the thing is we're we're embedding bugs effectively into people's homes yeah. if those things aren't secure. Yeah. And I think that's why you try you have the major players trying to stake their claim because the government 
certainly doesn't know how to regulate this arena. So mm-hmm. then you do. You'll have Cisco out there cheerleading, but I also think you'll have Cisco and Qualcomm uh, coming out and trying to protect things as well to keep them secure. I think everyone sees the value in security and privacy. Um, but well, then the industry needs to get his act together and yeah. and create a set of standards that we can all agree on. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's like, let's create a commission for the standards oh. <laughs> for Internet of Things. Excellent. Let's we do should, that right now. Great. We can do that right after this podcast. Yes. We'll do that. Good. So anyway, um, that's all I've got on CES 2014. I think it was a very impressive year um, and Internet of Things has exploded since then. It's gotten very very, very, uh, it, it's the thing. It's what everybody wants. Everyone wants their things to be smart. They want to talk to their things. They want to interact with their things. They want their things to know them. And I think the general public has gotten over a bit of that. I don't like things spying on me so much. I think they're a bit more apathetic towards it. I mm-hmm. don't know if that's a good thing or a bad mm-hmm. thing, but it's definitely showing that the public is less concerned that things will know what's going on with them. When I talk to friends and neighbors who aren't technical, God forbid, they're still using like uh, CD players because they can't figure out how to use an iPod. And so it's it's really a different world, you know, than my tech friends. So they're five years behind the times, realistically. And it's it's we're doing all this fun, exciting stuff. You know, we're um, all these connected cars and homes and appliances and toys and wearables and... Yep. Um, it's, it's all great stuff and it's enormously fun to watch. And yes, you're right. It's on fire. Like we're at the center of that. And then our listeners are probably at the center of that as well, relative yep. to the rest of the world. Well, if you can figure out how to download a podcast now after our Apple changed the whole thing, then I'd be pretty impressed alone. <laughs> yeah. It's not that hard. I'll help I you later. It's um, not good. It's not good. I yeah, just don't like when things change. It's fun. And I think by the time that, that ordinary, um, folks, get a hold of a lot of this stuff and, and understand it. We'll have a lot of this stuff straightened out, but yeah, but no, you do make a good point that uh, I was floored. Um, I was at a diabetes conference recently mm-hmm. uh, cause I work for a, um, a, a health connected health company. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was floored when I met people that just flat out, I don't own a computer. I have no interest in owning a computer. Yeah. I don't own a cell phone. I just borrow somebody's cell phone if I'm going to go for a long drive where it might not be safe. Yeah, but that's true. it. I have no interest in connecting with a digital device. And I, I, I think I was absolutely speechless. I didn't know what to say to this person. I, I can't imagine how somebody could interact with the world without a computer. Like the internet is such a required part of things. Yeah. They had a, a study out uh, a little while ago where people that are so impoverished that they're homeless, jobless, mm-hmm. uh, have no chance or hope of affording healthcare or anything. Mm-hmm. They all have a cell phone Yeah, you and they need will, it. and they will pay the monthly cell phone bill yeah. if they have to scrap, scrimp and save and whatever they need to do, because it's the only way to get, you can't get your government benefits. You can't apply for a job. Yeah. You can't do anything without yeah. the internet. You need this phone that essentially becomes your small computer. It's true. So I, I'm, I'm shocked when people just flat out tell me, you know, I live in a completely non-digital world. I, yeah. And no, it's, it's like people living without electricity Yeah. for us. I mean, <laughs> yes. it's a utility. Yeah. And, and what's funny though, is, uh, with this internet of things, we're going to infiltrate anyway. 
they can flat out say they live in a non-digital world, but when they have a smart insulin pump or a heart meter yeah. or, a, you know, they have a watch that's going to help tell their grandkids if they've eaten or not today mm-hmm. and if they're taking care of themselves, they're going to be part of that world if they like it or not. They mm-hmm. just won't know it. Yeah. Which I guess has its own interesting implications. Well, yeah. I mean, they're going to buy a car and the car is going to know if they were speeding. Yep. You know, and um, it's going to raise their car insurance. And they're going to be like, well, why? Oh, didn't you know we're spying on you 24-7 now? Yes, yes. We, they, for, we, we, did, we didn't tell you explicitly, no. but when you signed the contract to buy the car, you opted in. I hope that's okay. I don't, I don't think they're openly advertising that feature, but, you know, no, progressive. In fact, in fact Ford... Uh, uh, the head of Ford just recently said, oh, yeah, we're really, yeah, we're tracking everybody all the time. Right. And then backpedaled on that. But we'll we'll bring the exact quote into the next podcast. We should. We should. But Progressive has that that thing that you put in your car and tracks how well you drive because mm-hmm. it affects your uh, car insurance. Right. Well, everything's voluntary at first. Yes. That's how we get you in. Until um, it's not. But even Samsung and BMW at CES announced that you could connect your Galaxy Gear to your BMW i3 yep, and, uh, you know, monitor the electric power of your vehicle. Mm-hmm. You can charge it. And so that's all good. That's all good. It's yes. the problem is when you can't drive yeah. without paying double the amount of insurance that you would normally pay. Well, and then the car would shut down because it'll it'll know that you haven't paid your car insurance and that'll just shut down your car. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that really gets us into we, we owe you guys at least two more episodes, one on the Big Brother effect of IoT yeah. and one on privacy. So we will definitely be doing that. Yeah. And when she says two, she means 200. <laughs> Probably. These are pretty in-depth options. Uh, well, episodes to get into. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us anytime at podcast at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Actually, we go off on complete tangents into privacy and security and standards. But that's why we're doing... I mean, the only reason to bring these things up is to talk about those more interesting topics, I feel like. I guess, but then I feel like all we're going to do is talk about those three topics because they get brought up in every single episode. Yeah, it's possible. I'm eating chocolate.